Hi, welcome to What Chance. I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk of going to prison? And what is it like to reintegrate into society? What does the justice system and society really care about? Punishment or rehabilitation? Come, join me. My guest today is T. Haywood. He is a mentor at the Aspen Association in New York City, where he is program coordinator for young adults. And according to T, AVP is a transformative experience anchored in the principles of self-respect, caring about others, finding good in yourself and others, and building healthy communities. Welcome, T. Thank you. So you are involved with the Alternatives to Violence Project, AVP. Can you talk a little bit about how did you get to know this program? Did you use it for yourself? What did you find helpful? I became acquainted with AVP back in 1975. <laughs> it's like when it started. And um, I was in Greenhaven prison. And um, at first I took ABP because I was just trying to get out of prison. I figured if I get a certificate from ABP, that would kind of show people that um, I wasn't a violent person and that maybe I should be let out. So my first experience with ABP was selfishly so, like I just wanted to try to get out of prison. But when I got involved in it, that was the first time like I heard good things said about me because all my life I've been hearing you you know you're no good um you're going to end up in prison that I was I wasn't smart which I turned out to be pretty bright so those affirmations and stuff it kind of it felt good I end up taking the advance and be, becoming a facilitator so I've been active in AVP since then I mean, I, I served 25 years, but I was doing workshops almost every month. When I came home, I started working for Episcopal Social Services. Maybe tell a little bit about how AVP works. So there are workshops in prison, and who does these workshops, and what's the goal? The workshops are done by um, the prisoners, um, the facilitators in prison, and, and community facilitators. They come in and they work together. It's usually a three-day workshop. It starts on Friday and it finishes on Sunday afternoon. Um, you don't have to complete 23 hours. I think most people in prison, when they first go in, they just want it to take get AVP so it looks good on their record. Some people go in because that was one of the criteria that they needed to have conjugal visits with their wives. But I think once you go in, and trust the process, it changes. You start sharing your feelings about things and with each other. You're in that circle and the circle is full of respect and caring 
and listening to each other. And that's a good feeling. And um, so that goes on for, like I said, Friday to Sunday. And then those who want to participate in the events, they sign up for the events. And once you take the events in prison, facilitators kind of keep their eye on people that's in the workshop. And those who they feel would make good facilitators, they um, offer them to come to facilitate a training. So you are saying that, oh, let me go back a step. There are exercises that are done in AVP that everybody participates. And so they're focusing on affirmation, positive things. And are you saying that for many people, and you said this might be true for yourself too, this is the first time you hear somebody values you, somebody appreciates you? Yeah. 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 You know, it breaks down these barriers, right? Because, you know, you're in prison and you have these images that you uphold and you got to be tough and stuff like that. And when you get into a workshop, you don't need to have them. You can put the images down and be who you, who you really are and you get a chance to know each other. That's when you begin to trust the process. You know, not analyze it, but trust it. So that sounds like a really big step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so you you felt that this was really useful for you while you're in prison. It helped you to, did it help you to deal with what life was before and how you wanted to change things? I think it helped me in a lot of, a lot of ways because um, a lot of stuff was going on. You know, I had just come to prison. I came to prison for a violent crime. So a lot of stuff was going on. I think it kept me grounded it didn't completely change me in the beginning. It just kept me grounded enough that I want I wanted to change. And I changed in increments, you know? I didn't change like overnight. There's certain things I stopped doing. Um, there's certain things, I mean, I continue doing, but there's certain things that I stopped doing. One of the things um, for me is in Greenhaven back then, in those, in those days, it was very violent. So Almost every prisoner carried a weapon one way or the other. They just carried weapons. And so what I found myself doing was um, I would take the weapon and hide it near where a correctional officer was at. And my reason for doing that was that if I got into a situation, I would have to wait till the police officer moved. And that would give me time to really think about what I was getting ready to do. So it was increments like that. And then the next one was um, that if I got angry enough where I felt I needed to hurt somebody. Then I promised myself that I would take a week to plan how I was going to do it, right? And that week gives you a chance for ABP to take over. And the other thing was never threaten somebody because if you threaten in prison, you have to do it. If you don't threaten, you keep it to yourself and it gives you room. You're not on stage where other people are watching and you could become your own person and make your own choices about what you're going to do. You know, that sounds like an incredibly challenging environment. And, you know, even if AVP works really well, that's, I'm thinking you must have had incredible strength and self-discipline at this point to resist that and, you know, find a different solution. I think that was always in me, but it was just in me in a negative way. I think like when you doing this transition and you this transformation has taken place, 
some of those things, even that happened in prison, that developed in prison, I kept. They were good. You know, when you talk about strength and you talk about decision making, I kept those things. The things that I I didn't that weren't good for me, I I just got rid of them. You know, I worked on getting rid of them. But like I said, it's a process. It takes it takes a little while for especially for me. It took a little while. This is interesting. I always thought that because um my my mother used to say you just violent. So to me, it felt like a disease, like I had a disease, you know. And I'm I'm young, and that's all she said. You violent, and this is gonna happen. I went to AVP for like medicine. I thought if I take this medicine, then I'm I, I won't be violent. Rather than say, you know, violence is like an act. It's not a disease, it's an act, right? Something happened since I've been working here that reconnected me with AVP, right? I used to be bullied a lot when I was a kid. And my mother told me one day, I said, I said a bigger guy, be, you know, did that. Because she used to make me go back out and fight whoever picked on me. So I said, a bigger guy did it. She said, well, when somebody's bigger than you, you pick up something and you hit them with it. That's when I realized that I wasn't a violent person, that my mother gave me permission to be violent when I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so AVP wasn't a medicine. It's a way of life. I just felt that, like I said earlier, that I was a violent person and I needed to take some medicine. And so it sounds like, and this might connect with why you are such an advocate for AVP for young people now. Like before you went to prison, if you had something like AVP, do you think it would have helped you to make different choices? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think it was just not having AVP. I think it was just not having a lot of things. Just not having a lot of things. You know what I mean? You know, I didn't really have a real serious strong role model for a man. So I had to find out for myself what a man was. And so what a man was, was if somebody bigger than you, you make sure you protect yourself and you pick up something. I used to get into fights and I would hit hit the person with a stick or whatever. And their parents would come to my house and my mother would say, then they must've did something wrong to him. She made it all right for me to do that. I don't think it was not having AVP that was the problem. I think now the group of youth that I work with, I think this is the only AVP program throughout the states and other countries, right? That we train gang members. I have some youth that's involved in gangs and they AVP facilitators. And my approach is that um, I'm not anti-gang, I'm anti-behavior. Behavior that where we hurt each other and we do this and we do that. There's always going to be gangs. And so we need to change the culture of what a leader really is. So AVP has been doing that. And I see the difference that it's making with them at this age. You know, we give them a choice. You give them conflict resolution skills where they don't have to pick up the gun to shoot each other. They can resolve it by, by transforming power and using some of the skills that they have. So you're working with youth, what age ranges? From 16 on up to 25 sometimes 30, some, it all depends. We have had a couple of people that's 30 years old, but basically like 16 to 25. And so that's in New York City? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Now, how do you find these people? Do they find you? How do they hear about that program and enroll? Uh, there's a few different ways. We have like about five, five programs right here in this area, right? We have a job readiness program. We have an archers program for kids that's on probation. We have the next step program. That's for kids who volunteer to come into the program. Then we have the alumni program. That program is for youth that's finished these programs and taken ABP. And then we have a luminary. The thing of having gang members in here in this program, it spreads the word pretty fast. And they wanna come and see what's so special about the program. And usually when they come in, there's just an atmosphere here. It's like an AVP atmosphere. It's real warm, real, the word program goes out the window. This becomes their place. And they take ownership to the place and they make sure they take care of it. They make sure they respect it and they make sure other people respect it. So here I'm wondering something because, you know, when society hears the word gangs, I think they're thinking, oh, this is about violence, right? And I'm sure there is violence in gangs. But is there a reason why a young person would choose a gang? Because they're probably not choosing the gang to say, oh, I want to be violent. There must be something that attracts them. Okay. First, let me say this, right? All gangs are not young people. You have gangs that wear suits, wear ties, right? They blend in. They're invisible. But the reason why the focus is on you is because they're not invisible. They're young people. They come out of a certain area and you can spot them a mile away. So that piece of it is that um, the other gangs with the suit and ties, they, they doing a lot of stuff that the gangs are doing, but they doing it in a real sophisticated way. With the gangs here, um, what I'm seeing is like how they behave and that's all they know. They, know, they don't know anything else. That's all they know. But if you give them something different, right, and they like it, they'll carry it. We have a saying here, right, that you can't talk to a frog in the well about the sea. So the well is our neighborhoods, right? And you can't talk to a frog, which is a young person, about the sea. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what like success looks like. They don't know what dreams come true look like. They don't know what that looks like. And you can't really get with them until you're able to experience that trauma with them and you go down in the well, right? And then you'll find out that it ain't just about violence, you know? And yeah, some of the kids gravitate to gangs for the wrong reason. I'm not saying some don't, but I'm saying that there's always gonna be gangs. History repeats itself. You see it happening. So why do we think we can stop gangs? So what we need to do is go down in the well and change the culture of what the gang looks like and change the culture of what a real leader is. What I teach them is that there's a thing called a formal leader and an informal leader. The formal leader is like the top of the gang and he voted in because he's tough and he voted in because he does this and he does that. And there's always somebody that wants to take your place though. An informal leader is a person that people follow because of what that person is doing. No one can ever take that away from you being an informal leader, no one could ever take that away from you, right? And people follow you and that's what's happening now with um, some of the people that I have, 
they were leaders in, in the game, but they were formal leaders, but now they're becoming informal leaders. They're watching how this person live and they doing the same thing. They're working, they're going to school, you know, they're taking care of their family. So it's about changing the culture. You know, um, violence is all over the place. Right now they're saying, buy the guns back. And, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Yeah, buying the guns back is not gonna stop violence because they'll, they'll, they'll pick up the knife, you know? So I think we barking up the wrong tree. I think we have to address the behavior and why they feel they need to carry the gun or why they feel they need to carry the knife. When you get into a conflict, you gotta bring your best self to the conflict so you can work on resolving it. So that's what we, got, we do here. We try to show them what their best self is and they take that to the conflict so they can resolve it without killing each other. So you say they're leaders in the gang, like these kind of leaders were the kind of fightable position. Then they come to AVP, they see something that clearly was missing in their life. So they like that. Now, if they change, are they still staying in the gang? Yes. 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 I mean, do the other gang members know that they have done AVP? Um, I know that other, other gang members see a change in them. So we have a, a saying, right? When you first come here, you have the, the Osborne AVP eye. And then when you go back to the block, you got the on the block eye. When you get to the point that you could take your Osborne eye to the block and be respected, you got it. And not to compromise all the stuff that you've done for yourself here, don't compromise it. Take it back to the block. And as soon as people start respecting that, then more people will come. I find that interesting because, you know, we might be thinking unless the gang leader stays violent, he can't, he or she, I'm sure there are also girls in a gang, right? He can't have respect, but now you are saying they are still respected even after they change their behavior. So, wow, I mean, we are definitely taking the wrong approach than dealing with gangs or have done in the past, right? right. Because clearly this is working. Just like uh, when I first went to play, I had a reputation, right? And the reputation was, you know, not to be messed with. So if I went to AVP and I told them I went, they're not gonna come to me with nothing stupid. They just not, you know what I mean? Because of who I am. So that that's the same thing out here. When this person who's this leader comes here, they're not gonna step to him about that. They bet not, they're gonna watch. I mean, on the block where I lived, it was a lot of gang activity. And one of the approaches that we use here, we call it the three-step approach to conflict resolution, right? The first step is the first agreement. The second step is common ground. And the third step is win-win. I approached the, the, the guys on the block, right? So they kind of know a, a little bit about my past. So I said, can I speak to you for a minute? That's the first agreement, right? And he says, yes, I already know what the common ground is. So I presented to the person, I said, listen, do you think it's our role as men to make this block safe for our women and children? That's the common ground, yes, right? So is it safe right now for our women and children? No, it's not. So how can we work together, that's the win-win, to make this safe for our women and children? These are the skills that we give them. And they use it and they see it works. Do it work all the time? Maybe not. I don't know. You know, 
me, we doing a gun diversion program. And the DA asked me, do you know if your participants, you know, gang members carry guns? I said, no, I don't know. He said, you don't? I said, no, but I can tell you that none of them have been arrested for a gun. I could tell you that none of them has shot anybody. And I could tell you that none of them are in prison. I could tell you that. Yeah. When you said the men want to protect the women and children, I think that's an interesting point too, because you must be also dealing then with this concept of masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? Exactly. And if your son or your daughter or your little sister brother can't come out to play on the block because of what you're doing, because you're, you're bringing drama to the block where other people come in here looking for you and all that, then you need to man up and be a man and straighten that out. Stop bringing drama to where your children and stuff is at. Stop. Like, you know, when I first came home, the only people I knew were people who were in prison because I had been going 25 years, right? And they used to come to my house. We used to play cards and all that. Nothing never happened. But in having this conversation with this young man, right? I said, you know what? We both need to look at what part we're playing in block not being safe, right? So I said, you just made me realize something. The guys that's coming to my house who've been in prison, I don't know what they're doing outside of my house. But if it's wrong, they bring it to my, to my house. Whatever they're doing, they bring it to my house. And they bring it to your mother or your little brother. Your little, so they can't come to my house anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah. They can't come. To, some of them not doing the right thing. I know they're not doing the right thing. They're not doing it in front of me, but I know they're not doing the right thing. So you know? do you feel that, you know, if a young man reevaluates, what does it mean to be a man? And I'm sure some of it has to do with what kind of role models did they have, right? When they were young, like, like little kids. And so now maybe change the role model. But do you feel that it also affects domestic violence in a positive way? I'm glad you said that because I just had a, a personal situation. My niece, she's more like my daughter. She's also my goddaughter. And we are very, very close. She's real mild-mannered. I mean, she's a sweetheart. And she became involved with, uh, just recently, with this person who lives in Texas. And I knew that she was serious about him because she upped and moved, and that's not like her. And I just knew something was wrong. Like I, I was talking to her and I could like, hear it in her voice. And then I know she, she's not gonna lie to me. She'll tell me the truth. So I was trying to figure out how to question her because I know something was wrong. But she slipped up and said, yeah, I moved. I said, why did you move? So she had to tell me, well, something happened. And I come to find out that this young man put his hands on her. She said, I didn't tell you cause I didn't want you to get in trouble and you know, that kind of stuff. But that first, first, that's not allowing me to change. She's thinking about me like years and years ago, right? Where I would have went to Texas, right? She's not allowing me to change, but she, she's afraid because she doesn't want me to go back to prison. I understand that. I was really, really upset. I was angry. And so what I did, remember, I told you I used to plan what I was gonna do for a week. I didn't call them. I made her give me the phone number, but I didn't call them. And I just spoke to him. This is a week. I just spoke to him yesterday. So I planned what I was going to do and planned what I was going to say. You know, evidently, she likes this man. And I come to find out he's young, didn't have a strong role model in his family. His mother was a big time drug dealer. The father was a police officer, but he's crooked and he had the drug thing going. 
and it ends up that um, I had this talk with him. And I asked him one question. I said, you know, you love your mother, right? He went like, yeah. I said, so if somebody somebody put their hands on your mother, what would you do? So he said, no, nah, I don't know. So I said, so you understand my position right now? She's like my daughter and you put your hands on her. So I said, let's do, let's do this. We're going to make an agreement. Because he said, well, I apologize to her. I shouldn't have did it. And this is the agreement we're going to do, right? I'm going to think about your moms and how I want my niece to be treated. And I want you to think about my niece and how your moms want to be treated. If we can do that, we're going to be good. That's the common ground again, right? And the win-win. <laughs> we end up talking a long time. And I've seen a lot of me and him. You know, and I said, my niece, did she told you about me? She said, yeah, she pretty much told me. And I think we had a good conversation. I think I think I hit hit home with him. You know what I mean? When it happens like that, he put his hands on her. When I go to him, I want it to be a teaching lesson, not something that we become enemies, right? Because evidently you don't know any better. Or, you know, that's in your little scale of things. So if I go to this person, I'm gonna bring my best self there and it has to be a lesson to be taught. If I'm not ready to do that, then I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait so to all the emotional part leaves. Because remember, right? If you don't threaten anybody, you don't have to do anything. I could have called them up and said, yeah, you know, I'm coming and that's what I'm gonna do. Then I would have to do that. Because if I didn't do that, then he's gonna hit my niece again. Yeah. I mean, I'm really sorry so, that that is your experience. That must be really difficult, but it sounds like it shows your involvement with AVP and how you internalized it, how well you handled the situation. And do you believe him that he's going to be different now? So we'll see. She moved. They're singing and they're doing a big play. My, my niece, she's very talented. And she probably can do some recordings, music recording, singing and stuff. And they're doing a big play. So the only place they see each other is like the church. Because she moved. She's not telling them where she lives. She's cut off that part of the relationship until she sees what's going on with him. And then if it doesn't change, she'll just pack up and just stay over there. I'm going to call them maybe on a weekly basis, every two weeks, check in, see how you're doing. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be anything between him and her. It just could be other stuff that he's going through in the street or whatever. You also said that, you know, you see yourself in him. Mm -hmm. So I'm also wondering, as you're working with him and with the other young people and they know your story, does it work for them to work with you because of that background? Would it be the same like if I come in who doesn't have that background, who maybe doesn't sound credible, maybe they might think, I don't know what I'm talking about. That's a good question because you see all this gray, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm 74 years old. How many people you know 74 years old is working with gangs? So when they come to meet me, it got to be something special, man. And then my talk is like, a talk they never heard before. I can go. I can, you know, I can really go. And then they see the people that's around me. My mentoring team, right, that's here. I mentored them in prison. <laughs> mm. 
I was their mentor in prison and we didn't plan this. And so when they come, you heard um, the term credible messenger? Yes. You might want to explain it though because the listener might not know what that well, is. Well, a credible messenger um, is supposed to be a, a person who because of life experiences and trauma healed themselves with life-changing experiences and they take this healing to heal others. They can identify with other traumas. They can, they can go down into the well. Being a credible messenger is not a job, it's a passion because a job you take time off or a job you go above and beyond. I don't think there's no such thing as above and beyond for a credible messenger. I think they have professionalized it where a lot of different people claim themselves to be credible messengers. But I know that the team that we have here, this was our passion before we came here, but we didn't call it credible messenger, right? We called it like a role model when we was inside and we didn't call it trauma, we called it drama. I want to get this drama out of my life. So they professionalize a lot of stuff, right? Even with AVP, um, restorative justice. You know where the circle comes from, right? Was that a Native American? No, the circle, the restorative circle came from when the Quakers was using it. That's why in the circle, when you do AVP, it's transforming power. That's the transformative circle but they professionalized it. So I think we're busy, so busy professionalizing stuff rather than trying to really be what that's about. The credible messenger piece of it, we have our own idea and values of what it, it is. And we kind of stay to that. That helps us with, that helps us with the kids. That they know that we really care about them. They know that through our experiences, there's a thing called hindsight and foresight, right? And for our hindsight, it helps you with your foresight so you don't have to go through that, some of that stuff. You mentioned your age before, and that makes me wonder, you know, the young people who grow up in their neighborhoods, how many elders do they have as advisors, as role models? Not many, because yeah. most, my age, they don't want to be bothered. I remember like, the guy, he became a good friend of mine and he became like my fishing buddy. And he used to see me go talk to the kids. He said, I'm not going to talk to them. They come over here. I know what I'm going to do. And so I said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I'm going to change it. He said, man, you ain't going to change nothing in here. And so now he's a big fan. He's a big fan, man. You know what I mean? But a lot of people, they just see the young people. They, you know how they call it isms? You got racism. They got ageism too. And they see young people, they treat them a certain way. And they see older people, they treat them a certain way because of their age. And so they treat us a certain way, but I refuse to let that get in my way, right? Somebody here said, so when you gonna retire? I said, maybe in a couple of years, but I'm not gonna retire from the work. I'm gonna, I wanna start training people more. Right now, we, we're getting ready to um, take 21 youth up to a camp to train them. And you know who's co-facilitating? The people that's in my alumni program. So who better to train them when they see people with former gang members or gang members doing maybe who better? That must feel good to you, don't know, to see the influence you had and 
that it's possible to change and how it's been carrying on? I had an experience this past weekend. My wife and mine, we go out to Atlantic City. So we spend time with ourselves and so we ain't got the kids there and stuff like that. We were coming in in the evening and this young lady, she started talking to my wife and my wife's niece. And the next thing I know, she was crying. The woman behind the counter was crying. And the other woman behind it was consoling her. It comes to find out that when she started talking to my wife and them, she wanted to really vent. And so a guy came out from the back and he came like right over where the conversation was at. And I said, hey, how you doing? He said, ah. He said, yeah, my name is Sean. I'm the overnight um, security here. I said, oh, okay. So it's something about him. Sometimes we could we could just smell each other. Like he either was ganged or he was in prison. We just know. So I said, you from the city? He went like, yeah, yeah, I'm from the city. He said, I'm from Brooklyn. So I started naming people. I said, so you know Powerful? He said, yeah, I know Powerful. I said, do you know Man Up? That's an organization. He said, yeah. Then I said, yeah, my name's T. Haywood. And I swear to you, he went like, I finally get a chance to meet you. And I just stood there like this. He said, I'm honored, man. It made me think about all the work and it being worth it because I don't see myself like that. This is my passion, I'm just doing it. So I don't see myself like that, like others probably see me. So it was a shock, but it was a, a nice feeling, right? That people are saying, I never met you, especially two in prison, I never met you, but I was um, able to take some advantage of some of the programs that you started. It's kind of like we have this um, hyphen, you know the hyphen, right? My hyphen has 1947 over here. At the other end, I don't know, right? So the hyphen is, what do you want your hyphen to look like when you're no longer here? I'm never gonna die because I have some youth that's gonna keep it going. I was having a conversation with some people from Vermont the other night and they were saying how the industries and all that, they're just messing up the environment and the air. And so what do you think we could do about it? And I said, they're killing the air and the trees. He said, yeah. I said, we need to stop killing each other first. Don't worry about the tree. We need to stop killing each other. And then we'll take care of the trees. I'm in a position where I can make some kind of difference. I can't make a difference about the environment, not directly. I can make a difference in how we see the environment, how we see each other, and, and then that'll make a difference, you know what I mean? So that, it tells me also you are able to focus on where can you have the most effect. Yeah, you're you not getting distracted by other no. issues. I facilitate all the time. I facilitate whether I'm on the train, while I'm on the bus, while I'm, I facilitate all the time because you're always looking for the good in the next person. Yeah. And so that keeps you really going to see the young people taking over, carrying this on. Yeah. And in the, if you think about in the next two, three years, what is it you would really like to see happen? There's a couple of things. Right now, we put together a, a gun diversion program where we're working on the behavior. That's a start. And then the other thing is that they want kids from the age of 16 to 18 to become facilitators 
to facilitate groups with kids starting from 10 years old. And so they're gonna start going in schools and stuff like that. You know, I always wanted that. And then to train other people. I've done some uh, team building trainings for all the probation officers in the city, how to work with youth so that the relationship is not adversarial and they don't see you like as a police officer. Your job is to try to keep them out of prison, not wait for them to break a rule. Yeah, about eight months ago, I, tra I trained all the probation officers here in the city. And that's the second time I did it. <laughs> I served 25 years and I was on parole for 11 years. And now I'm training probation officers like to do some work. Just tell me AVP is not a lie. <laughs> well, you know, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so glad I got exposed to your wisdom and to hear your stories. And I really wish that, you know, you got a lot of energy and good health okay. so you can keep going for a long time. Yeah, I will. As long as this brain is going, I'm going to keep going. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. What Chance is created in New York with cover art by Hernan Braberman and original music by Max Elias.